We make decisions every day. While some of them are small, others can have a huge impact on our own lives and those around us. But how often do we stop to think about how we make decisions? Welcome to Deciding Factors, a podcast from GLG. I'm your host, Eric Jaffe. In each episode, I'll talk to world-class experts and leaders in government, medicine, business, and beyond, who can share their firsthand experiences and explain how they make some of their biggest decisions. We'll give you fresh insights to help you tackle the tough decisions in your professional life. Although many of us find ourselves feeling discouraged and helpless in our fight to combat the climate crisis, there are still some reasons to remain optimistic. One example is the emerging field of ESG investing, the act and art of evaluating companies through the lens of their environmental, social, and governance standards. My guest today, Arun Sharma, is a leading advocate of ESG investing. Throughout his career, both as the current president of Grove Pike Associates, a global strategic and financial advisory firm, and as the former chief investment officer at the International Finance Corporation, Arun has championed causes and ideas that lead to more sustainable, pragmatic, and forward-thinking businesses. Listen in as Arun and I discuss his career and the lessons he's learned about ESG investing. From his early experiences with environmental remediation in Poland, to the metrics for measuring success with ESG, to why he thinks humans will increasingly incorporate the ESG approach in the years to come. Arun, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to be on the podcast, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I thought we could start by you helping explain and define what is ESG investing and how did it come about? ESG is the set of environmental, social, and governance standards and behaviors that any business is expected to follow in conducting business that is responsive not only to shareholders, but to the broader stakeholders set in society. It's a very interesting and topical uh, question uh, today, uh, but it's also fundamental to uh, my own career at the IFC, as uh, certainly IFC is one of the pioneers, if not the pioneer, of the concept of introducing environmental, social, and governance standards uh, as a part of business decision-making and business activities uh, globally, uh, but particularly in emerging markets where IFC operates. And it was an uphill battle for us at the IFC over the years to get people to understand that basic principles of capitalism, which is to maximize shareholder value, were not Uh, sufficient as business justifications that the business community and capitalism itself was about building a better world. And that cannot be done only by maximizing shareholder value, but uh, by maximizing what we call stakeholder value, which is really value for everybody on the planet. As we see it, other developments around the world, climate change, global inequalities, the pandemic, a number of other uh, events around the world have willy-nilly demonstrated the importance of this approach. How do you reconcile the need to rein in some of the bigger players with a focus on kind of helping out emerging markets, if you will? Business comes in all shapes and sizes. 
Yes, the big players play a large role, but they are not necessarily the only players and they may not even be majority contributors to a country's GDP or for that matter, a majority contributor to pollution levels. A large part of the world's climate impacts come, say, from agriculture, from smallholder farmers, from dairy farmers, from small individuals working in uh, fragile uh, forest geographies, for example, uh, in, in degraded lands, and so on and so forth. So it's not only the big players, it is everyone, and it is you and I in our daily lives on how much waste we create by our consumption patterns, on how we create uh, various impacts in the way we conduct our lives and our lifestyles. So I think the important thing on ESG is that it is not one segment's responsibility. I think it is everybody's responsibility. I do want to talk more about how ESG works in practice. But actually, before we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal story. How did you get involved with the International Finance Corporation? And what about the IFC and in general ESG drew you to that line of work? Yeah, so I joined IFC really, you know, as an accident of history. I don't know if I can call it that. But I was a summer intern at IFC when doing my going to business school. And uh, I guess I must have done something to please them. So they asked me to come back. But the reason I chose to come back was it was an absolutely fascinating place to work. And my first project was actually privatization of a furniture company in uh, Poland called uh, Swarens Fabrik Mebli. I still remember that, although it was way back in uh, 1990. Uh, I was still a summer intern. Then the ESG connect there was already obvious from day one. You know, Poznan, which is a medium-sized town in Poland, was a center of coal mining and, and power, and it was swamped with coal dust. It was highly polluted, and uh, the area was very, very challenged from an environmental perspective. And one of the things, even at that time, we are talking now close to 30 years ago, a little more than 30 years ago, uh, you know, IFC was already, and my colleagues at the IFC, our environmental specialist, was already looking at that and saying, wow, we need to do something about this. You know, being in an organization that cared about such things and being exposed to situations where uh, the impacts of commercial activities on the environment were so stark, you know, drove home that message of the importance of the work that I could be doing in this place. And that that really spurred me on to uh, pursue a career in an organization that was trying to really make a better world on the one side and uh, do it in a responsible way on the other. In terms of stakeholders, it's also important that how it's treating, as I said, its own people, uh, its workers, its suppliers, its customers, its consumers, members of its supply chain, so governance very much is a is a matter of treating everybody right, including your shareholders. So are you transparent? Are you telling the truth to people who have invested money in your company? Are the decisions being made in the best interests of all the stakeholders? Are you telling the truth to the regulators? Are you telling the truth to uh, uh, other people who are buying your products, for example? So all those things really fall under the G part of the discussion, which is, uh, the governance part of it. The move from what I would say shareholders to stakeholders is really a change in perspective. 
can you help us understand how companies measure their output essentially on the ESG side? I know there is a surplus of potential data that can be considered. So which ones are the key ones in assessing a company's ESG performance? So for you know the environment part, you know, the most common metric is what we call the GHG or greenhouse gas emission or the carbon emissions. Another uh, metric that is very commonly used is how efficient is their energy usage. Another metric that is common to a lot of companies uh, is their waste intensity. That means per unit of production, how much waste are you producing? Another metric which is also commonly used, which is a little more difficult to measure, but increasingly popular in uh, these assessments, is the, what, what we call the circularity of the product life cycle. How much recycling is used in your production process, for example, and how recyclable are your products down the line? Then uh, we have a whole series of metrics around the S, uh, what we call the social metrics. What is your product safety track record and what are your processes to ensure product safety? And then um, what is your uh, record around fair labor practices? Have you got into any litigation? Have Have you been fined? Uh, what is your attitude towards employee health and safety? Uh, what are your what is the quality of your general balance and diversity policies? So these are kind of the key metrics when it comes to the S part of it, the social metrics. And then similarly, you know, the governance end of it, the G end of it, also has I think fairly fairly well established metrics now. And again, there are also I think quite uh, standardizable across different businesses. Uh, so there are things like accounting transparency and disclosure, which we all know. Uh, what are your internal audit processes and practices? You know, what are what is the level of your transparency in terms of your ability of your employees to uh, have uh, a say? And, uh, uh, in, and how is that documented, say, in whistleblower rules and protections? Uh, what are the uh, arrangements you have for people to complain about you or... or ombudsman arrangements or complaint cells and the like so that if somebody has an issue with uh, how things are not progressing then these can be brought to the attention of management and there is a way of recording that but it's very important to remember that every metric is not relevant for every business and there's a need for intelligent calibration to make a determination as to ensure a fair comparison it's still you know a bit of an art as compared to a science Maybe lastly, there is, of course, as you mentioned, a growing consensus about the importance of ESG and a recognition. I think that as capitalism is currently defined, at least some find it insufficient. Maybe you could talk a bit about that momentum behind ESG and social impact. Where is it going 10, 15, 20 years down the road? What kind of a world will we live in and and how will ESG have changed the trajectory of business? At the root of this ESG, as we discussed a moment ago, it lies this kind of tension between the people who are the owners of the company and the people who are not owners but are impacted by the company in other ways. And so the question is, how do people who are not having a direct, uh, I would say, influence on the company, how do their interests get protected? The providers of capital, to businesses around the world at different levels of business certainly have become a very strong uh, driver of ESG momentum. And uh, 
the fact that ESG investing has emerged already as a significant asset class, both across debt and across equity, uh, has been a you know I think a fairly revolutionary trend, and that that trend is I think going to continue over the next next ten to fifteen years. The next thing that is driving uh, I would say forward. Uh, in a positive way, our world towards a more responsible way of doing business that accommodates stakeholder needs as opposed to only shareholder needs is the digitization of the world. And that trend is continuing. And where it is actually going to be most, I would say, telling is going to be in the business transparency that we will get once uh, blockchain becomes, uh, you know, mainstream. Because again, it's very important to distinguish between blockchain and cryptocurrency. I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. Although even cryptocurrency, and uh, there I mean central bank digital currencies, they will contribute a huge amount to transparency because it will be impossible to do a money laundering deal because everything is recorded in one ledger and there's nothing you can escape from it. Once that is there, there is no way you can uh, do a transaction that you wish to keep private, period. If the government mandates that everything has to be on a blockchain or on a central bank digital currency, that is the end of the ability to hide a financial transaction. Similarly, I think once a contract is registered on blockchain, whether when an accounting system of a company is registered on blockchain, on the act, the operating procedures are registered on blockchain, they become open to everybody. The question will be, you know, how does the world balance between privacy and uh, and disclosure and you know that will be an evolving discussion but again the ability to control the lack of transparency to ensure proper governance you know will be hugely enhanced in my view by by these capabilities the other i would say driver towards esg so to speak is going to be the efforts that the world will have to make towards surviving, uh, you know, climate change and uh, those efforts largely can be summarized in one word, you know, decarbonization, you know, how do you live in a more sustainable way and whether it is, you know, transitioning to more uh, renewable forms of energy, trying to create uh, activities that leave a lower carbon footprint, trying to do activities that uh, somehow undo the damage already done to our oceans, to our forests, to our grazing lands, uh, and just changing the relentless pressure on the planet that is created by our lifestyles. You know, my own argument, and I'm sometimes unpopular for making that, is, you know, the biggest polluter in this world is our humans with more money than they than they actually need. I go back to, you know, Mahatma Gandhi's uh, prescient saying, I don't know, 70, 80 years ago, you know, the world has enough for man's need, but not for man's greed. And I think this will be a trend that will become, uh, I think, more and more the norm in our world, you know, 10, 15 years from now. You know, you have a class of the planet that has never experienced these material joys. And, you know, it'll be hard to convince them to uh, adopt that. But, you know, the fact is that they probably don't have the means anyway to waste that much. But I think even this country, which is, you know, probably the biggest consumer and the biggest polluter in the world, you know, we will have, I think, a lot of the younger people uh, which are changing their mentality towards uh, this type of thinking, which will be, in my view, one of the biggest drivers of uh, a more responsible ESG behavior uh, in society, not only companies. 
That's great, Arun. Thank you so much for being with us today. I think it was a really great overview of ESG and really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. That's my pleasure. Again, thanks for the opportunity and uh, hopefully these inputs are useful to listeners. That was Arun Sharma, president of Grove Pike Associates and the former chief investment officer at the International Finance Corporation. We hope you'll join us next time for a brand new episode of Deciding Factors featuring another one of GLG's network members. Every day, GLG facilitates conversations with experts across nearly every industry and geography, helping our clients with insight that leads to true clarity. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Or email us at decidingfactors at glgroup.com if you have feedback or ideas for future show topics. For Deciding Factors in GLG, I'm Eric Jaffe. Thanks for listening.